So I'm going to be doing something a little bit different this morning. I got permission from one of my college professors to use his notes. So these are not my notes. These are my professor's notes. But we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7 this morning. And the title of our lesson is The Hypocrisy of Application. Mark chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, but for now let's just read verses 1 through 5. Mark chapter 7, beginning of verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples? according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. So I'm going to be mostly reading my professor's notes, but I'm going to make some comments. And We only have one person in the room here this morning right now, but if anyone in the room wants to make comments, you're more than welcome to jump in. So when we think of biblical application, applying God's word to our lives, what we think of is we take biblical principles and we bring them down into some relevant, doable action points. That's a statement that my professor made. We want to take what God has given us and we want to live it out in our day-to-day lives. We want to apply God's word to our lives. And sometimes we give the Pharisees and scribes a hard time. But we need to understand what they're doing here in this passage. What are they doing? They're actually applying the Bible. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 16 Priests were required to bathe in water before going into the temple and ministering to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 22. Individuals who came into contact with a dead body or in contact with diseased or defiled items or unclean people, they would be unclean unless they bathed in water. Leviticus chapter 15. Any object that was contacted by a defiled person. Maybe clothes, bed, dishes. That had to be cleaned, had to be washed. So here in Mark chapter 7, these Pharisees are saying that we need to not just wash our hands after touching a dead body, not just wash ourselves before going in to the temple. But we need to wash our hands before we eat. Sounds sensible. And also, we need to wash our dishes, our pots, our brazen vessels, cups, tables. We need to wash our hands, we need to wash our dishes. That doesn't sound very offensive. They were really just being extra careful. I mean, God hadn't specifically told them to do that, but they were just going a little over and beyond what God had said and saying, well, we should do this too to be extra sure that we're clean, that we're ceremonially pure before the Lord. And there's some good... uh, We can commend them for some of that attitude. But... Notice how Jesus responds to them. Verse 6. 
He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He calls them hypocrites for applying God's word to their lives. That should make us pause and ask, are we applying scripture correctly? Or are we like the Pharisees? So let's dig into this hypocrisy of application. I want to give you this quote from a man named D. Edmund Hebert. He says about these Pharisees, they professed to be followers of God, but they were in reality followers of men. So when we apply scripture, we want to be sure that we're actually applying what God has said and not what man has said. Because what were these Pharisees doing? They were adding their own rules on top of what God had said. So the hypocrisy of application. We see there are three different types of application that we can make from Scripture. Three different kinds of application. The first is direct application. For those just joining us, I am using my, one of my college professor's notes, so I'm doing a lot of reading here this morning, but I'm also adding my own comments as I go here. So first we have direct application. And th- this is the simplest. Um, my professor put this verse down. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Now, we don't have to stop and consider, well, in Jesus' day, if someone sinned against you, you needed to rebuke him, and if he repented, you need to forgive him, but how do we apply that today? Well, that, that's clear. That's simple. It's the same thing today. If someone sins against you, you rebuke him. If someone repents, you forgive him. That, that is straightforward. But then there is something called principialized application. So this would be big umbrella truths, general commands, like 1 Peter 1.16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Well, we can't just say, well, I'm going to be holy today. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. It's, holiness is evidenced by practical day-to-day things that you can't just say, I'm going to exude holiness today. Another one, Exodus 20, verse 12, honor thy father and thy mother. Again, you can't just radiate honor. It has to be in certain ways that you apply that. Here's another one. So we've got direct application, principialized application, and contextualized application. So, first example he gives here is Luke 20, verse 25. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. Now, I know someone named Caesar. Does that mean I need to give him something? I don't think so. What is the point of the passage? It's saying that we need to pay our taxes. And that's an obvious application. Now, it's contextual in the sense that we're not paying to Caesar. We're paying to California, the United States government, so on and so forth. But it is obvious what that application is from that passage. But one that might be a little bit less obvious would be 1 Timothy 2.9. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. My professor asked this question. Is this verse teaching 
The braided hair and gold jewelry are wrong. And he answers no. In that historical context, it was wrong because it was drawing attention. It was, as he says, in this historical context, Paul was teaching that modesty meant not wearing jaw-dropping styles in the Christian assembly. Well, that would look different for us today than it did in the first century. And how might it apply? Well, he gives one example here. It'd be that you shouldn't wear your Rolex to church. I believe a Rolex is a watch, right? I'm not very... I, I don't have one. <laughs> but it's the, this concept of you not trying to draw this great attention to yourself by what you wear. Well, so that would be more... Again, it's a contextualized application, but it's more principial in nature than render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So these are the types of application. But what we're going to dig in more here into Mark chapter 7. And I want to emphasize this point that he makes as well. He says that don't, the command, or the, it's not a command, the statement, don't wear a Rolex to church is not the command. Be modest is the principle. Rolexes at church is a contextualized application of that principle. In other words, what we have to be careful in distinguishing what does the Bible say and what is my application of what the Bible says. Because if, if, if I start confusing the two, then I'm going to say, well, no one... I mean, if you start wearing a Rolex to church, then you have violated this principle. Well, you may have, or maybe you apply it differently than I do. And I don't think Rolex is going to be the issue. It's going to be something that's murkier than that. It's going to be like, well, is that, are they following the principle of modesty or not? don't know. Well, let's, before I jump to any conclusions, let's, let's see what Mark chapter 7 has to say. This is just to give you a little bit of background on application. Um, earlier, I think it was the end of the summer, I did a three-part series on which commands in Scripture do we obey. And in that final lesson, I talked about the command greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, that would be one that I would consider a contextualized application. Because in our culture, do we greet one another with a holy kiss? I hope not. And with that kind of a principle, the way I look at it is I take the principle principle is to greet one another. And I look at the application that Paul gives using a kiss, and I say, does that application still reflect the principle? Because the principle is what's more important. And if it doesn't reflect the principle, then we need to find an application that does reflect the principle in our culture. And we could argue what that principle is. Is it merely greeting one another? Is it greeting one another warmly? And depending on even that slight variation, you might come to different conclusions. Well, a handshake is good. A wave is fine. Maybe you need a hug. I don't know. I mean, you might come to different conclusions on what, what the application of that principle would be. But at least you need to greet them. So let, let's jump into Mark chapter 7. And the outline that we're going to look at from Mark chapter 7 is very simple. First point is don't do application wrong. 
And I'll go ahead and give you the second point, and that is it's wrong to not do application. So number one, don't do application wrong. Number two, it's wrong to not do application. So we got two sides that we want to avoid, two ditches we don't want to fall into. We don't want to do application wrong. We want to apply God's word correctly, but we don't want to be so scared of doing application wrong that we skip it all together. So, what do we see? Mark chapter 7. I want us to look, again, I say I want, but this is what my teacher wrote. Each of us needs to ask ourselves five questions to avoid being a hypocrite in how we, avoid, in how we apply Scripture. Five questions to ask. And the first question is, am I being an externalist? So look at verse 6 with me again. Mark chapter 7, verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So he's, these Pharisees want to impose on the people these commands of washing their hands, washing their dishes and their tables, which is above and beyond what God had required in the Old Testament. And Jesus' first response, he calls them hypocrites, and then he says that they honor him with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, there's a few things that we could pull out of that statement. One is that just because somebody says something that sounds right doesn't mean that they are actually living a godly life. Even if someone stands up in church and gives a great testimony, it does not mean that they are living for the Lord. Now, it's sometimes hard to know what someone's heart is. But we can examine ourselves even if we can't examine others, right? Their heart is far from me. My teacher writes, Each of us should be very aware of the pull of externalism. People notice holy speech. They notice holy actions. They notice holy avoidances. I like that phrase, holy avoidances. But they can't see whether our hearts are holy or not. And Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Another place, Jesus Christ says that they are like whited sepulchers. So, like, they look good on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. They... They do all these things that make people think, oh, that's a godly person. But they don't actually do it out of heart of worship to the Lord. They, they, they do it to be seen by other people. They're being an externalist. So that's the first question we need to ask. Am I being an externalist in how I apply Scripture? Am I looking to... At, Let's take the example of modesty. Well, that's a very external principle. But am I doing it so that other people see me? So that other people think that I'm modest? Well, you know, that's like the exact opposite of being modest. <laughs> if you do some... It's, it's like saying that I'm, I, am so, I am so proud to be humble. Um, that's, that's just not what we're supposed to do I mean, and sometimes that is where we end up we think oh I'm such a humble person well it's like the classic example of um, I, wrote my, I wrote this book called Humility and How I Achieved It 
It's full of pictures of myself. <sighs> um, but am I being an externalist? Am I doing things so that other people think that I'm a godly person? Because that is not the reason that we do what we do. Should not be the reason. Second question that we should ask. First, am I being an externalist? Second, am I bringing empty worship? Look at verse 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now that's a little bit of a scary verse. He's saying that their worship is empty, it's in vain. But then he says, teaching for doctrines. In other words, teaching as if this is what God requires. The commandments of men. Teaching what I say, as if it's what God says. That's scary. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. Romans chapter 12 Verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That verse, it says, sacrifice that is acceptable to God. That is what we should be driving at. When we want to know, how should I live my life? Our question should always be, does God want this? He says the controlling question of our worship is, does God want this? So it can't be, well, this is the way I was brought up. Well, this is the way we've always done it. It has to be. This is what God wants. This is what he has revealed in his word. I am applying what scripture says. And I'm not adding my own teaching to it. And he asks this question. How do we know if God wants our particular application or not? And it's simple. Not always easy, but simple. By making sure our application comes from the Bible, and being honest and transparent about how we arrived at it. It can be hard to apply principles, biblical principles, to our lives. And frankly, it's easier to say that other Christians don't do this, and therefore I'm not going to do this to fit in, to look like a godly person. But that's not how we need to look at it. We need to look at application as, is this actually what God says? And if it is, then be able to explain. I do this. Uh, Let's get really practical. I make these entertainment choices because of these biblical principles. I wear these clothes because of these biblical principles. I listen to this kind of music because of these biblical principles. And you're not going to find another person in the world that agrees with you on your exact application. But you need to be convinced. I believe it's Romans 14 that says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You need to be convinced that you are applying God's word to your life. And he poses this question in one of his other classes. He asks his, his ethics class, is it wrong to smoke? Well, the Bible doesn't say, say so, right? The Bible doesn't have a verse on smoking as far as I know. It's not a direct, remember we had those three types of applications. It's not a direct application. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not smoke. 
But is it a principialized application? Are there biblical principles that we can apply? I think so. I think there are principles like that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you should have some respect for your body, that you are an image bearer of God. There, there are some principles like that. There are principles of you should not allow something other than the Holy Spirit to control you. Well, now I have reasons why I don't smoke. And it's not because there's a verse that says thou shalt not smoke. It's because I have these biblical principles that I apply to that area of my life and I decide I'm not going to smoke because I think it violates those principles. Now, at least in theory, you might be able to find someone who applies Scripture differently. At least before we knew how much damage it did to the body. I, I know that there were preachers a few centuries ago that smoked their cigars. And if they don't have the knowledge of how much harm it does to your body, then I can understand why they might be able to justify it more than I can. But I, I can't for myself. So, so the second question is, am I bringing empty worship? And to bring that question on, is it wrong to smoke back? The question we should be asking is, does God want me to smoke? It shouldn't be, do other Christians smoke, therefore it's okay. Do other Christians not smoke, therefore it's not okay. Am I going to be perceived as godly if I don't smoke? Am I going to be perceived as ungodly if I do smoke? The perception is not why we choose how we apply scripture. It is our worship to the Lord. Are we desiring to please God in what we do? All right, third question. Am I exchanging application for obedience? Verse 8. Mark chapter 7, verse 8. Jesus speaking says, For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. So, we mentioned at the end of verse 7, he says, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So it's like this exchange is going on. You've got the commandments of God, or the doctrines, and you've got the commandments of men, or, in verse 8, the traditions of men. And what these... They're not In verse 7, they're taking their human doctrines, their human traditions, and they're putting them alongside God's doctrines, it seems like. They're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. But it doesn't stop there. For it, it says in verse 8, for laying aside the commandments of God. So it's not just that the human traditions come over here. It's that God's commands go over here. They, we're, we're swapping places. We are exchanging our application for obedience to what God has commanded. And he says, as the washing of pots and cups, many other such like things ye do. And, you know, I, I read something like this, and I think, this is such a small issue. I mean, why would Jesus get after them for teaching people to wash their hands? But the point is, they weren't just teaching people to wash their hands. They're teaching them that in order to be right with God, you must wash your hands. And that is maybe a nuance of a difference, but it is an important difference. It reminds me in the book of Galatians, where Paul says that if you add 
anything to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. If you add circumcision to the gospel, you say, in order to maybe not be saved, but in order to be a truly spiritual Christian, you have to be circumcised. He says that's another gospel. That's a gospel of a different sort. And he even says, let them, let those who teach those kind of doctrines be accursed. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's a small issue. I mean, it's just one, one little thing that they added. But it is, at, and in that case, it's actually something that God had said for Old Testament Israel. But I, I got off on a rabbit trail there. The Galatians reference wasn't in my teacher's notes here. All right, so verse 8, let's see what he says here. The traditions, or agreed-upon applications by their group, their elders, they became points of obedience equal to Scripture. And then verses 9 through 13, Jesus gives an example of how they're doing this. So let's read those verses. Mark chapter 7, beginning verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered. And many such like things do ye. So this is moving beyond washing of hands and of dishes and tables. He is moving to something else. And that is this, the, the principle, he's actually applying a principle right here. Um, verse 10 is where the principle is. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Right? Those are the principles. But then he applies it in a way that shows that they have not been applying it. Or at least not correctly applying it. He says, verse 11, But ye say, so they got the contrast there, But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Now that's a little bit hard to get our minds around. Basically what's going on is rather than taking care of their parents when they got old, this person says, no, I'm going to give my money to the Lord instead. I'm going to give it to the temple. I'm not going to take care of my parents. Because, I mean, isn't it more important to give to the Lord than to take care of my parents? I mean, I, I, I could see how you could justify that one. And they're saying, he shall be free. He, he's, not, he's not obligated to, to take care of his parents. And it's interesting that really what Jesus is doing is he's applying that principle of honoring your father and your mother to, if you're honoring them, you're not going to let them starve. That should be obvious. But that's because, I mean, in their culture, they did not have social security. They did not have any backup plan. If your kids didn't take care of you, you didn't have a plan. So, 
which, as another aside, is what makes books like the book of Ruth even more beautiful because someone like Naomi, not having a male heir, not having descendants to take care of her, means that she would grow old and not have anyone to take care of her. Not to mention the fact that she's a woman and women didn't have a high social standing. And so, I get in trouble when I get on my rabbit trails. Um, but the point is that Jesus himself is doing some application here. He's taking this principle of honoring your father and your mother, and he's saying, you're not doing that by giving your money to the Lord, to the temple, saying, this is a gift. You're not honoring your parents. You're not obeying that principle. In verse 12, he says, and you suffer him no more to do aught, to do anything for his father or his mother. It's like, if you give to the Lord, it's almost like an indulgence, selling of indulgence. You, if you give your money to the, to the religious people, you're free from responsibilities. Well, that's not the way God looks at it. All right. So, that question was, am I exchanging application for obedience? He gives an ex- illustration here. This is from his, his family. He says, we had a family rule. Don't talk about how much our vehicles cost. In other words, you know, don't brag to your friends, oh, my, our vehicle costs so many thousands of dollars. You know, just to be kind to others, be considerate, and not to lift up maybe the you have more expensive vehicles, not to lift yourself up, or to, on the other side, not to always be talking about how poor you are. They, they had this family rule, don't talk about how much our vehicles cost. But, he says, if I start to think of this as a true point of obedience to God, what do I do when the worker at DMV asks me to write down what I paid for my vehicle? Well, you can't follow that rule anymore. Because that's not... That is a rule for a particular purpose. It's the principles we're obeying. The rule might have to change if it's based on a principle because there would be other principles at play at the DMV than there would be with your friends. So, am I exchanging application for obedience? Question number four. Am I exporting my application to others? I'm going to have to start moving a little bit more quickly here. Which means I could just read and not go on rabbit trails. Verse 7. We already mentioned this. He says, verse 7, Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And then in verse 13... He says, um, your tradition which ye have delivered. So, the key word there that we're looking at now is in verse 7, that they are teaching this. In other words, it's not that I'm applying this to my own life, and this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to wash my hands extra, just to be extra careful. No, it is, I'm telling others to do this. I am teaching others. And then verse 13, your tradition which ye have delivered, which you have given to others. So he says, and I will note that these notes were from my class on preaching. So he says, as preachers and teachers, this is especially important. But I would also say, as parents, this is important. Anyone who is influencing another person This is important. To what degree can we teach our application as, Thus saith 
the Lord. And he makes this comment. He says, sometimes we use words that we think indicate application. But our people are confused. Words like standards or convictions. And you know the problem with those words? Is if I say it's a standard. Well, standard is a rule. I can say, well, this is my standard. Well, that's okay. But if I say it's my application, then it's clearer. This is based on something else, and I am applying it in this way to my life. Same with conviction. I believe conviction is something that you believe and that you might be even willing to die for. Well, is that what we mean when we say, oh, I have a conviction against smoking? That I'd be willing to die for my belief in not smoking? No. If it came down to it and somebody came up to me with a gun and said, smoke this cigarette or I'm going to kill you, I'll smoke the cigarette. Because the Bible doesn't say I can't. Now, I mean, if it were a lifelong threat, that might be a different matter, but... I mean, I guess if it were a matter between instant death and uh, prolonged death by smoking, I guess you'd take the prolonged death. But my point is, it's clearer when we use words like application than words like standard or conviction. And he makes these notes for the preacher, but it would also apply to any teachers, any parents. He says, direct applications should be given as they are in Scripture. Preach imperatives as commands. So the Bible says forgive, I'm going to preach forgive. There's no no varying on that command. But how about principalized application? We should preach or teach the principle as a non-negotiable. So honor your father and your mother. Uh, be holy as the Lord is holy. We should preach that. But we have to be very careful when we preach our own application of that principle. For example, I might say, because I want to be holy as the Lord is holy, I am going to separate myself from certain activities. Perhaps I'm not going to watch certain movies because I don't want to contaminate myself with some of that, frankly, some of that filth from the world. Well, what I said so far, you might, you probably more or less agree with me. But if I started saying, so I'm going to watch this one, I'm not going to watch that one, you'd say, well, that's okay for you. But if I started saying, if you want to be holy the Lord, you cannot watch this movie, you cannot watch this other movie, well then I am teaching, how did it say it? Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, because the Bible doesn't say that. All right, move on, fifth question. Am I evaluating others according to my application? We look back at verses 1 and 2 here. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. It's one thing to say, this is how I'm going to apply scripture. It's another to take that application, to export it to others, and then even to evaluate others according to the way I apply scripture. That's dangerous. Alright, so first of all, don't do application wrong. That was my first point, and we got five minutes to do a second one. It is shorter. It is wrong not to do application. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. 
And we already touched on this. We won't have to spend long here. But Jesus teaches the necessity of application. Verses 9 and 10. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father and mother, let him die the death. As my teacher notes here, Jesus does not appeal to a command that says, Ye must financially support your parents. He doesn't appeal to that. Because there isn't a command like that. But rather that the principle of honor must be applied in this case. For a person to not provide for their needy parents is to reject the commandment of God. And then verse 8, to not apply a principle is the same as laying aside the commandment of God. So they were not honoring their parents in doing this. And in so doing, they're laying aside. They're putting aside what God has commanded and choosing to teach their own doctrines. So how should we do application? Let's consider four points here and we will be done. Right application comes from number one, a sincere heart of worship that asks, what does God want? We've already spent some time here. But if we truly want to please the Lord, then we are going to search the scriptures to find out what pleases Him. How can I please God with my life? But number two, a humble heart that clearly distinguishes commands, principles, and applications. In other words, we have to say, This is what I have chosen to do, but it is not what God says. I am applying what God says. So I distinguish between what God says in command, what God says in principle. Both of those are equally binding on me, but I separate those from how I apply those principles, and that is less binding on me. Because I am applying I am applying principles, so to some degree it is my own my own views. So I need to have humility. Number three, a desire to teach other people how to do application. We need to teach people how to apply scripture. He mentions here, let people see your work as you develop applications in preaching, teaching, parenting, so on. And he says, for example, how did he come to the conclusion that it would be wrong for him to wear a $20,000 watch to church? Well, we, we already discussed that. But if you just made that statement, it's wrong for me to wear a $20,000 watch to church, people would say, Why? Well, we need to connect the dots. We need to say, this is the biblical principle, this is how I'm applying it, and this is how I get from here to here. We need to be able to show people how to apply Scripture. But we also need to teach people that they must apply Scripture. Some applications are so fundamental that you cannot be obeying the principle if you're not, obeying, if you're not applying it in obvious ways. For example, honoring parents must be applied to caring for them when they are in need. So we should be able to ask, how are you applying this in your life? So I should be able to come to any believer and pick a biblical principle and say, how are you honoring your parents with your life? And if you're a mature believer, you should be able to at least give me some kind of an answer of, well, I'm doing it in this way. It's probably not the same way that I'm doing it. But at least you've thought through the principle and you're applying it in your life. First Peter 1, verses 15 to 16. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And the word conversation, King James, indicates not just speech, but it indicates lifestyle. 
So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So in our whole life, we're supposed to live a life that is holy, a life that is separated to God. So that means we have to apply every, apply scripture to every part of our lives. And he gives this illustration. There's a New Testament principle of walking in the light. John chapter 3, Romans 13, 1 John 1. After explaining it from Scripture, we can ask, what areas of your life are in darkness? Are there any specific places where you need to turn on the lights? What about your computer? What about your smartphone? Etc., etc. So we need to take those biblical principles, and we need to apply them. We need to teach others to apply them. But, fourth this is our final point. If right application of God's word comes from a gracious and hope-filled heart when other believers apply scripture differently than I do. And this is the whole point of passages like Romans chapter 14. We are not called to judge or despise others if they are making legitimate applications. Now, if, the, if they're not, if they're saying, I'm doing this because I want to, well, that's a different matter altogether. But if they genuinely want to please the Lord, and they apply Scripture differently than you do, then you need to have grace toward them. You need to extend that understanding that God didn't tell us exactly how to live every part of our lives, but he gave us principles. And we need to live by those principles. All right, that concludes our lesson. I hope it was helpful. And again, I just want to give credit to my teacher. This was not my work.